Welcome to New Hope and the teaching ministry of Pastor Randy Rainwater. I don't think our sin takes us out of relationship with God, but our sin can put us on the bench. It takes us out of being the kingdom people that he's called us to be. Today, as Pastor Randy continues our summer series through the book of Revelation, we also get an update from our friends Rob and Stephanie Corley. So we sent, uh, with, with, again, with everyone's help, um, uh, we fed about 5,000 people in, in... What a great number. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I didn't think about that. <laughs> That's yeah. funny. That was the number, though. As we prepare for Pastor Randy and today's message, here's Sarah Burnett praying for our time together. So join me in prayer. God, we just thank you. For the day that you have made, we rejoice and are glad in it, God. We take these two hours, this hour to pause um, and remember you, to give you praise, to trust you with the things in our life that aren't making sense right now, God, to lift you up despite. God, I pray for faith in this room, for people in this room to know that you are with them, God through every season, through every situation and circumstance, God, that you hear their cries at night and you're with them in the joy in the morning. And God, together we pray as you taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. New Hope. How's everybody doing? We're like two weeks away from back to school Sunday. Yeah, some of you guys are excited. Some are grievous about that. So, you know, I, I think we figured out that a third of our congregation is, a, is tied into the schools in some way, which we always, the elders always joke, we know that based on that first payday of the month. Because uh, I'm gonna tell you, I think our teachers tithe, because that's, that's the biggest giving Sunday. Uh, so, but we're just a couple weeks away from that. Uh, this is kind of this in-between time, and we've been going through the book of Revelation. Open your Bibles up to the book of Revelation. It's right there at the end, if you're not familiar with where this is. It's right there at the end. And if you don't have a Bible, if you'll slip your hand up, we'll give you one right now. And if you want to take it home, you can. Uh, we'll, we'll get some more. Some people have given those to us. You'll need one today. Flip back to Revelation. Uh, this morning, the Corleys are going to come up and share about what God's been doing in Cambodia. So I'm going to, I'm going to basically show you kind of a big picture thing about Revelation. I'm going to tell you a story. And we're going to look at one short passage of scripture where that happens. And then next week, Josh, stand up, Josh, stand up, Josh. Josh is preaching next week. All right. So I'm going to leave Josh something to preach next week. You'll have the rest of the book of Revelation. You can find something in there. So, so today I want to talk to you about pause, the meaning of pause. And as we've been going through Revelation, right there in your notes, it says this, that the author of Revelation is Jesus through this last disciple, the disciple become apostle John. We're about 30 years past all the other disciples being dead. 
And here is John writing to a church, going through incredible persecution, incredible pain, incredible trauma, and he's giving them direction as to what they would be in that season. The key verse is verses five and six, to him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood. Now watch this, and made us a kingdom. We've been talking a lot about kingdom. I don't think our sin takes us out of relationship with God, but our sin can put us on the bench. It takes us out of being the kingdom people that he's called us to be, that he's made us a kingdom. Look at this. This is our job, priest to God. That is our role, that we are, we are ultimately ministering to the Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Now, shortest verse in the Bible is what? Jesus yeah, you, uh, you guys know that one. All right. Jesus wept, but the shortest sentence is amen. It has a subject and a predicate. It has a noun. It, it's, it is, I'm all in. I am with you all the way here, okay? So I'm hoping to hear some amens today. Uh, so as we've kind of gotten past our mask mandate and everything, um, amen. So, which by the way, um, we just want to continue to be in prayer uh, this continues to be a thing that continues. There, there are people uh, in this church that continue to get sick and, and be sick, and we want to continue to be wise. There's hand sanitizer out there. Please continue to respect people in this process. If you're wearing a mask, I want you to know you're welcome here. Uh, we bless that. Um, be, keep yourself safe. Uh, and, and then uh, a couple of key terms. Revelation. It means to see things that word apocalypse in the Greek, it means to see things in the context of something bigger. It doesn't mean everything's bad. That's not what it means. It doesn't mean everything's ending. It means I'm going to look at this in the context of something much, much bigger. That's literally what that word revelation, it's to reveal, to show you the big picture, not just what you're going through. That's what we're going to talk about today. Hermeneutics, the science of interpretation with that principle being that scripture interprets scripture, specifically the scripture right around scripture. And Josh is gonna show you how that works next week in some really specific ways as he gets further into uh, chapter, chapter 10. But today, I wanna talk to you about this thing of pause and, and where you see pause. And I wanna begin this with this question. Do, do you, and I want you to write down the answer, your first response to this question. I want you to write this down in your notes. I want you to think about this this week. Do you think things are ever going to be better? How many of you guys remember 9-11? Man, I remember where I was. I was at New York Deli Bagel. Tyler Thigpen and I were having a bagel and we saw that first plane hit the tower. And we actually had a friend in the Pentagon the, that plane that hit the Pentagon hit his office. He was, on a, he was doing a Bible study on the other side of the Pentagon. I remember the, trying to reach him. And we finally heard from him that he was okay. And, and he, said, he said, we're all in fatigues. We're at war. Do you remember the emotions that we had after 9-11? Because there was a period of time there that it felt like nothing would ever get better again. That's in some ways what for a lot of us this year has felt like. Is anything going to get better? I had an experience this last week with somebody who talked about that very thing. I'll get to that in just a second. 
through this story. Anita and I were flying. We went up to visit family. We were at a wedding. Anita's best friend from eighth grade in Africa, her daughter got married. So we went up to Chicago and we, we flew up there. TSA is, is a little intimidating to me uh, for a lot of reasons, okay? For one, like I need a lot of accoutrements in my life. So, you know, Anita travels pretty, pretty lean and mean. I've got like all kinds of stuff. I've got my, my bag with my protein powder in it, and, and I have this flask with protein powder, which looks a lot like a bomb, I'm just going to say, especially when my cables are wrapped around it. But I, have, I did learn you do not say bomb in TSA. I learned that two flights ago. Uh, I'm like, yeah, that does look a lot like a bomb, and all of a sudden there's guards everywhere, and, and I'm like, okay, sorry. But I, like, I carry like my computer and my iPad and my phone and, and my shoes and, you know, and, and I mean, it, I just have all this stuff that I, so I take like four bins. So we're flying through TSA and the, the guy in front of me, the, you know, they've got this new thing and you put your feet on the yellow thing and you put your hands like this and this thing goes, zhe, zhe, and, and the guy in front of me, he's, he's standing there and he's holding his pants and, and the TSA guy goes, sir, can you please put your hands over your head? And he said, not if my pants are going to stay up. And <laughs> So, so he, um, he was between Anita and I, Anita had already gone through and this guy, uh, as, as I went through, not that guy, but the guy behind me comes through and I'm packing up all of my stuff, you know, all of my com- getting everything. And I had Anita's computer and my computer and, you know, iPad and phone and, and my bottle that looks like a bomb and, and, and all that stuff. And I'm putting all that in my bag and trying to get everything in my bag and get my shoes on and get my belt on and, and this guy that went behind me goes, where is my computer? And, and the TSA guy goes, sir, there's a computer right down here. And, and down at the end of the row, there's this, there's this old HP. No offense, Stanley, okay? All right, I know you work. I know you work for HP, okay? No offense. This is not me saying this. This was the man. And all words in the future is not me. It was the guy in the TSA line, okay? He goes, that's not my computer. That's a junkie. He used some words I'm not going to use here. Computer. All right, we'll just leave it at that. And it's this old, like, HP. I, I could swear it had two floppy drives in it. And, and the power cable was attached to it. I mean, this thing took up the entire tray. And I, he goes, that's not my computer. I've got a Mac. And all of a sudden, I just had this horrific feeling. I must have, I probably took his computer with, I'm getting all my other stuff together. So I said, let me check my bag. So I'm zipping my bag open. He walks over and he's literally standing right over me. He's like, buddy, I'm, you know, I'm a pastor. I'm not going to steal your computer, you know? And I got, plus I got three Macs in here, you know, it's fine. And, and, and I'm, I'm zipping it open and I pull my Mac out and he goes, no, my Mac is much better than that. It's much bigger. It's much newer. And I'm like, (laughs) He goes, the computer that I have is much better. And I wanted to say, well, apparently the computer you have right now is an old HP, you know? <laughs> but but the, the TSA guy is over there and he goes, he goes, sir, are you sure this is not your computer? He's like, yes, I'm sure of this. He goes, how could this happen? And then he says this line. He goes, this is the worst day of my life. And I literally go, seriously? Like, I've got 50 I would trade you for today, right? I mean, your computer, okay? And he did see, he said, I, had a pre- I have a presentation to make in Chicago, and it's like, you know, they make this thing called the cloud now. I'm sure you're gonna be okay. And 
worst day of my life. Look, look at what happens here when you get to chapter 10 of Revelation. Something happens here at the first verse. Then I saw another angel coming down from heaven wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow. Remember that? Whenever there's a, it mentions rainbow in scripture, this is the sovereignty of God. Over his head, his face was like the sun, his legs like pillars of fire. He had a scroll open in his hand. He set his right foot on the sea, his left foot on the land, and called out with a loud voice like a lion roaring. And when he called out, the seven thunders sounded. And when the seven thunders had sounded, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. There's a pause that happens here after the trumpets Sheba talked about last week. You see this happen over and over and over again in Revelation. We've been going through it. I haven't pointed it out. I've been waiting to today to point it out. But this is what you see happening over and over and over again. There are pauses. It goes from this scene on earth with, with the churches, and then there's the scene in heaven, and there's worship in heaven. And then there's the seals and the seals break open and there's, there's violence and there's disease and there's pestilence. There's the, the, the little beasts are coming and attacking the, the, the humans. And then there's the souls. There's this break. There's the souls under the altar. And, and he says, hey, hang on. You're okay. A pause. And then it goes back to the seals and then you see the worship in heaven. And then you get to the trumpets. But then after that, we come back to here's another pause. Here's what happens in these pauses. These pauses are these things that remind us the prayer that we prayed today, that Sarah prayed on earth as it is in heaven. That we are in the midst of this turmoil, this churches, we're in the midst of this turmoil. Incredible persecution, real persecution. Way more than having their Facebook accounts deleted or paused or anything like that, these churches were facing real persecution. And then you get this pause. Pa pauses make us human again, don't they? Think about the pauses. Christmas is a pause, isn't it? We, we stop and, and, and we, we think about our family again. Thanksgiving, that's my favorite one, by the way. No shopping and just food and football. I mean, what a great day. Birthday, our kids' birthday parties. Those are great pauses, and, and we have to stop and remember, because listen, you guys are gonna know this in a couple weeks. Your kids are gonna go away to school, and, and you're not gonna miss the one that goes away to college. You're gonna be kind of glad. Uh, it's, it's this one that you miss. You never told this one bye, did you? That's those birthday parties. Those are the pauses that we stop going up on a mountain in the midst of vacation and all the craziness that vacation is, and you go and you open your Bible and you pray, even just for five minutes, and you have that, that pause. The, these pauses, they make us human again. Ironically, it is in seeing what God is doing in heaven that makes us understand what our humanity really is. Amen to that? Because if not, we wind up being in this grind of life and, and our planners determine our life and the trauma determines our life. And then all of a sudden we stop and we remember that we're a part of something so much bigger than any of the things that we see right here in this time, in this place. These pauses, they, they make us human again. 
It's in seeing that we are made not just in his image, but remember that key verse, that we are made to be priests to him, that our ultimate destiny is not the trauma that we're going through, the hard times we're going through. And I look across this room and I see some of you guys that right now you're going through, you would trade for having your computer lost, straight up. Yeah, all over this room right now. They make us human again. And here in this text, we see that God is at work even in the midst of things that we don't understand, he says, he says, seal up the seven thunders and don't write it down. Verse five, the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, the sea and what is in it, that there would be no more delay. But in the days of the trumpet sound called to be sounded by the seventh angel, look at this the mystery of God would be fulfilled. There is a fulfillment that happens. In Revelation, there's 500 Old Testament references, images. Some are prophecies fulfilled. Some are images that just remind us of, of what it was before. They would be reading this. This first century Christians would be reading this story and, and they see this image from the Old Testament that reminds them that God is still at work. It's like seeing a bottle of Coca-Cola when you're overseas. It may, the words may be different, but you know it's Coke, you know it's home. Amen. There's a home, amen to that. Not Pepsi, I've never felt that way <laughs> when I see Pepsi, only Coke. In the mid-70s, in the country of Cambodia, there was a genocide between a third and a fourth of their country was killed in the matter of four years. If you had an education, you were killed. If you wore glasses, you were killed. Teachers, doctors, anyone in the government, anyone in the military, all the structure was taken away and there was this incredible loss and God had a vision, had a plan for something much bigger and we're gonna hear some more about that right now. Would you guys welcome Rob and Stephanie Corley up here. So you guys can move those stools however you guys want to, and you can stand or be seated, whatever you guys would like to do. So, okay, welcome, welcome. We're glad you guys are here. Uh, I, I think Lydia is probably not something new to most of you, but the, it's, it, you're seeing all these people, aren't you? Yeah, and yeah, you just wanted to go hug friends, all of them. So, yeah. Yes, it's good to see everyone. So, you know, long story short, how we got involved after Buddy said he wanted me to come here and Nita and I to come here, we had lunch and he grabbed our hands. It, this was like that scene in Karate Kid when he tries to put them together. And he said, he said I'm not gonna finish this race, Randy, you are. And Lydia, um, so talk to us. Well, um, yeah, that was uh, uh, quite a day. He, he pretty much said, Randy, you're gonna, Lydia's gonna be part of New Hope. So that, you know, so uh, that's how it is, and uh, we're thrilled about that. We, we were here for a long time uh, from the time the church was planted here by Grace and uh, left three years ago to go to Washington State. Um, you guys actually sent us off to the least reached state out there, and it's pretty true. Anyway, uh, but we're, we found a, a fellowship there, and it's, it's really good. The way Lydia came about, just really, really briefly, we... Um, 
I was, Buddy had actually introduced me to someone and sent me to meet them in Cambodia. I was on a business trip and um, uh, had nothing, no inkling that we would be involved in missions. That was never on our mind. We had talked a little bit about caring for widows and orphans was something we didn't do in our life. We were doing a study about that, but we'd never talked about missions. But while we were in Cambodia on this business trip, um, the man I was with and I received a call and it was someone saying there was an orphanage that had no food, and he had heard that we were uh, Americans that cared about Cambodians. Would we come meet the kids? This was in 2009, and so we went, met 28 wonderful kids, and um, they didn't have any food. They hadn't eaten in four days, and we got rice for them, and we felt real good about ourselves, and both of us, he, Bob and Kay Petrick were their names. They have since stepped away and retired, and she's passed away. They were, they were in their 80s now, but, or he is. Um, but he and I, you know, were driving back towards the hotel and said, boy, that was exciting to be able to provide food for this orphanage for a whole month. And about halfway there, I said, are you thinking what I'm thinking? And he said, yeah, I think so. And that is what's going to happen next month. So, um, we came home and we told our friends, a lot of them are in this room, even today, and we shared with them and we started the Lydia Project. So that's how it began. Okay, so we're gonna, Wednesday night, we're gonna get a bigger picture of this yes. and, and we're actually gonna share something Wednesday we can't share on yes, the cameras. That's correct, something so, brand new that we're just blown away and excited about, that's right. And can I speak for one minute into the grace culture? Um, Rob and I were at Grace Snellville and then out here as we came, and um, we have opened our Bibles with you all for years, um, learned with you, uh, found a place to serve with you for Rob and I that was in the children's department and met your amazing children's staff. But um, until we left here and moved away, um, it's like all of us showed up every week and we wore a yellow shirt. And I didn't know that till I went somewhere and they're all well, wearing a purple shirt, we'll say, on the Pacific Northwest. I didn't realize that the nations, the neighborhoods, and the next generation, um, while I sat in this culture, uh, was woven into me. Hmm. It, it defines me. It's part of me. And I didn't know that until I got in another culture where I don't even understand what they're arguing over or talking about. I just want to go after the nations, the neighborhoods, and the next generation. And I encourage you to serve somewhere here, get in a small group here, bump shoulders with the people here, and, and be shaped by this culture because it is so rich it Thank is you, so rich. Well, you guys, you guys were a big part of shaping it. Okay, so quick reports. Uh, tell us about the kids, first of all. Okay, the kids, I think we might have a photo of some of the kids at Sunrise House. The kids are doing well. Um, the problem we have is, um, there COVID, they are. There's COVID, COVID oh is the problem. COVID, COVID is a problem. And yeah. so the kids have had to go back to villages. Um, most of them, you know, have no parents, and so they're staying with relatives and friends, but they're not allowing more than seven people together. But what we're doing uh, for both the uh, Sunrise House and our University House, where our students are, um, is we're having our leaders go once a month into the villages, take food, uh, make sure everybody's healthy, do health checks and 
and just checkups on them to make sure they're doing okay. But the kids are doing well. And if, if you're new to us, uh, this is the amazing thing. So our, our bike ministries have gotten a lot of these kids' bikes. Yes. And what's incredible is these kids come in often with having been very behi- far behind educationally yes. And like all of our kids are like tops in their class. They're within the top three or four in their class. It's, it's crazy. We've had 175 kids come through the Sunrise House. We have about almost 40 today that, that are there. There's a few that have stayed at the house. I don't know if you want to speak to that at all. Yeah, but. Um, we have a f- two particularly that have been able to stay through the COVID. Um, their home is, their village is in, just totally inappropriate for them to go back. And we're thankful that we've gotten permission for them to stay. And when we say we have, the we is you. You are part of the Lydia family, so you have shown up especially with the kids. The the kids' ministry here has provided over the years so many things uh, for the Sunrise House, and I'm looking at a lot of faces that have been to the Sunrise House and, and hugged those children and made them feel special, so. Okay, the widows, tell me about the widows. You do the widows. Okay. So our widows are thriving in our widow's home, safe, secure, worried about all kinds of other things besides simply survival. And thank you. Thank you very Look much. Look at that house. Yeah, this house yeah. was built a year ago. Um, we, uh, with some, uh, again, a lot of support from a lot of people right here. Um, it's a 5,000 square foot brand new house. Um, there's five widows now. We have room for 20. There's 10 bedrooms that will hold two apiece. We have a house mom named Sodany who's like, you got to come Wednesday. <laughs> On Wednesday, we'll play a video by Sodany. She's a hoot, and you will enjoy her, um, and you'll hear more. I will say the... Talk about yeah. the other widows. So, so yeah. we also, we all care for 100 widows in our, um, from SOD Church Planting who just live under a tarp, um, very, a lot of poverty. Um, COVID, uh, that's where we need your prayers. Um, We've lost um, some of our widows in the past month. Um, COVID is ramping up in a third world country with no vaccine that's working. They have a vaccine, but it's 20% effective and no, I mean, you have to go to the market every day to get your food. You don't have a refrigerator. You don't have stored food in your house. Um, yeah, so pray for our widows in our churches. Yeah, and just our churches. The people, this, in the spring, we had, they, they locked down so tight, they closed everything. And those that have been there know, you know, they closed the marketplaces, which, as Steph said, they don't have food from day to day. They have no refrigeration and no electricity. Um, so we sent, uh, with, with, again, with everyone's help, um, uh, we fed about 5,000 people in, in, what a great number. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I didn't think about that. <laughs> That's yeah. funny. That was the number though, uh, in a, about 200 villages and our, our pastors went and Steph tell what they told us about as they would go to house to house. Um, we, yeah, we, um, I, our pastors would go to a village and go up to someone's house and they could hear the crying children as they approached just hunger. And I think by then the parents were crying because they were tired of the children crying (laughs) and from their own tears. And as they arrived with this rice and cooking oil, um, a lot of people just fell on their face um, in gratitude. Um, And you have 
stood there as you participate with us in people's most desperate moments. Yeah, and what they said um, in every case it's beautiful. was, this is coming from, from our, our Father Jesus. This is a gift from Jesus. And they would ask, would you like to hear who he is? Um, and, um, but they, they delivered uh, to f- about 5,000, to, to over 2,000 families. So I'm assuming university houses doing okay? Same. Uh, kids have gone back home uh-huh. uh, to their home villages. Same situation. Same checkup and same delivery of food. We've got two kids uh, that have COVID right now. So we just, we just sent food, uh, funds. Actually, uh, we have four of our people that are, are sick. And so we just sent funds last week to help them through their treatment uh, process. And what's cool about the rice thing, we gave early. You did. And a lot of things got prepositioned when we couldn't you, you, have bought. You sent money, if you remember, during the floods that we didn't use all of it. We had other gifts come in. And there, so there was $2,000 sitting in an account from Grace for food for emergencies that we were able to respond with. And because of our business's missions, we're able to get the rice at a really great price. We do. I mean, it just, it's this. We have one yeah. of our young, young people that came through, one of our pastor's sons that has a rice business and he lets us buy rice at wholesale. Yes, but don't hear, um, hear the reality of COVID and poverty, but uh, connecting in with the sermon, hear the kingdom. Those SOD pastors haven't missed a step. No. We have churches being planted. Tell us about SOD. Tell us about SOD. That's our school of discipleship. Yeah, so our school of discipleship started, uh, we took responsibility. It was started by a group of pastors there uh, who were having trouble getting kids to to go into the ministry. They'd send them to seminary, and they wound up uh, going to work for World Vision or Compassion or one of those places and not really going into ministry. So they asked us if we would help fund SOD. So it's a two-year training for pastors. Um, we've graduated 125 uh, young people That's so far. That's amazing, yeah. Um, we have 85 pastors in training in five cities across the country in every province, uh, all the major provinces. And um, we have over 250 churches planted so far. When we were here a couple last year, year before, we were at about 110. Yeah. So we're at 250. And even during COVID, um, we've seen uh, about a dozen churches planted in the last year um, when there's lockdowns. I don't know how they're doing it. But some of them, one of them nine months ago was planted, and it's almost as big as this Wow. And they've planted two more out of that church. So God is at work. The pastors are at work. So in this one who's worthy to break open the seals, uh, through what you are giving into, there are people who have literally never heard the name of Jesus. I've never heard it. Yeah. If you say, do you know Jesus? They'll say, does he live on my street? They literally have never mm-hmm. heard. A very unreached villages and they are hearing this glorious gospel, glorious, glorious gospel and coming together and meeting, whether it's under a tree, under a house, we build just a few buildings when they get to a hundred and people and just need something for the children. And we do some after school English for them and we use, utilize our space well. Yeah. And, um, the gospel is glorious, and it is such a beautiful thing to be a part of watching it, watching people hear good news of this kingdom. 
that you were preaching on. Yeah, and the, the pastors, one last thing on SOD. Um, I've told Randy this, and some of our folks have seen it in our newsletter. By the way, if you want to get on our newsletter list, let us know. But um, they have started a program called uh, 10, 20, 30. And there's 2% Christians in Cambodia. When Randy talked about the killing fields, there were 200,000 Christians prior to Pol Pot and the killing fields. There were 200 Christians after. And we have five of those survivors on our team of leaders, which is amazing. Um, but their goal is at SOD is to plant a church or a cell group or have a Jesus presence in all of the 10,000 villages that have no buddy. There's 10,000 villages where if you walk in that village, no one's heard the name of Jesus still in that country. There's 14,000 villages. They wanted this 250 is like a down payment for them. They want a church in every village by 2030. That's and amazing. so we just got to keep getting those kids trained and through. And their objective is two to three churches per graduate per year. And they believe they can do it. And we're so excited about that. And last year, we got into the education business. Last uh, year, we did. Yes, that's an interesting story. In addition to the girls story. and the boys in, the, in, our, in our homes uh, yes. who've done amazing. Yes. Rob called and said the Jesus School was in trouble. The Jesus School was in trouble. Can I show a quick video? Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. Uh, Jeremy, can we show the Jesus the School video? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Cambodia is a country that has gone through incredible uh, tough times and turmoil. Uh, the Pol Pot regime that killed some three million people uh, brutally and tore families apart. Th there was no hope in that country. Uh, we can't even imagine the stress that the families and the culture and the people of Cambodia have gone through. In Phnom Penh, there are these slums, a community of tin corrugated homes. And the slum is part of a trash dump. These families that live in these corrugated homes have a lot of children. And so the kids in the slum spend their day digging through the trash, um, looking for recyclables, and selling those recyclables, which is what feeds the family. It's a tough, tough, tough environment, uh, one that most of us, I think, could hardly imagine uh, living under those conditions and in that situation. I just want to tell you a little bit about uh, our school. We call Jesus School. And why do we start Jesus School? Because uh, in 2001, I take my team. They come from uh, Rockhampton, Queensland in Australia, they come to work with our church. The purpose to do church planting here in Cambodia. They asked me, hey, Pastor May, I want to see the street children. So I take them to the garbage dump, see the children uh, uh, work. Then I saw one boy who walked uh, to, uh, to me and I, I asked him, hey boy, what is the thing you get it? Can I see? And then he said, oh, no, I just sell it to that man already. I said, oh, you sell it already? Yes, I sell it already. So can I see how much money you get it? He said, no, 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 no money. I said, huh? You say you sell it? Why no money? 
He said, oh, I just buy this fruit. I said, oh, so you work whole night? He said, yes, I work whole night. So now 7 a.m. you from here, you go to school? He said, no, because uh, I want to go to school. I said, you want to go to school? He replied me, he said, yes, I want to go to school. At the same time, I asked him, where is your house, boy? He said, that is my house. I still thinking and asking God, praying to God, God, how can we have this boy at the church? We don't want to st stop, stand still and say, oh, that is the work of a Christian NGO. But as I pray, I think, ah, this is the work. This is the great opportunity to show God's love to these people. So I start come to visit this community, asking the parents, why you not send your children to school? They say, oh, I want to send my children to school, but I cannot afford it. The school very expensive. And then I say, oh, if so, we start, we bring the school here. Start the school here, not charge. Do you willing to send your children to school? And now I say, if we start the school here, not charge. You say, no, why not? And then they start explaining me. They say, if I send your children to, or my children to school, nobody work for us. If nobody work for us, no food. It's no food, we're going to die before we get education. So, we know education very important, but food, stomach, more important for us right now. We also start uh, say, oh, how much your children work for you, earn for you? They start say, oh, not sure, sometimes it's uh, 40, sometimes 50, sometimes 60 uh, cents. 60 cents a day, 40 cents a day, like that. And then I, I told him, oh, if your children come to school, our church will pay you 50 cents a day. Send your children to garbage ram to work, you get six, oh, 50 cents a day. And our church willing to pay your children 50 cents a day if you send your children to school. Whenever I saw your children in our school, we pay you 50 cents. You happy to do that? They say, yes, if you pay us the same amount that we, our children work whole day, we, instead to send them to work in garbage dump, we send them to your school. First time in 2001, we start this school with paying some parents to let their children go to school. But after that only one year, we not pay anymore. Now free, 15 years already. Now it's 2017. It's 16 years, <laughs> 16 years already. We not pay uh, anymore because the, these uh, people start sending their children to school. More and more children waiting in long list want to send their children to school. So worship team, you guys make your way on up. So... You called me in October. Yeah, in October, we got a call. Actually, it was December. The first December, of December okay. from, we called Pastor Meng, and we were talking to him about Jesus School, and I, I said, how's it going? And he said, well, Rob, we've told the parents we're going to have to close Jesus School um, after 20 years. And I said, what? Because our teams have been there. And, and he said um, the, the co all of their funding came from Australia and also from local people, and it had, it had gone away because of COVID. And so they had told the parents that they were closing in December. Um, so can I tell them what happened? Yeah, you can tell okay. them what happened. So 
uh, we said, no, it's not going to close. And so the Lydia Project took responsibility financially for uh, Jesus School in uh, December, January 1st of this year. And then four weeks later, after we said that, they started back. They knew, you guys helped, I think, and some others with getting new uniforms and everything for the kids to go back to school because they had lost their uniforms and their books and everything else because they thought it was closed. Um, 226 kids, by the way. Um, I get a call from Ming. Uh, he asked if he could have a call with us, and he said, Rob, I uh, have some exciting news. Uh, some friends of ours called us last week from the United States, from Southern California, and they said, Pastor Ming, how is Jesus School? He said, well, we closed, but Lydia Project has stepped in. And anyway, long story short, they said, we have $170,000. We want to build a new school. And so, but we need you to raise another amount to, to match, not that much, but to, to do it. And so he said, well, okay. So he called us and said, will you help? And we said, yes. So we're building right now. The old Jesus School, for those who have been there, is not there right now. We're renting a space. We're building a 15,000-square-foot, three-floor school. Um, it will have whiteboards and nice computer lab and all that. We still have to raise that money, by the way. Um, so that's, that's something to pray for. But um, here's what's the most exciting thing for me of all of that. Right now, the sixth graders, when they finish at the dump school, which is what it's called by those that live around there, they can't go to middle school because the kids won't accept them because they stink and they come from the dump. So it's no different class-wise than pretty much anywhere in the world. There are people, you know, the kids are mean kids. They could go there, but they wouldn't be accepted. So what happens is there's 30 kids in a class, usually around 20 girls. In Cambodia, if you're not in school and you're 13 years old, about half of those girls wind up doing things that would not be good for our kids to ever have to be subjected to because of the need for funds. So this means that our sixth grade girls will never not be able to move on. We're starting a seventh grade in the fall, so our, our sixth graders will go to seventh, then we're adding eighth, ninth, tenth, all the way through high school, and then we'll put them on through college, God willing, and fund, funds willing. Um, but we are so excited. We've gotten the accreditation for middle school. We've hired a middle school principal. And so God, is, it's just amazing. So they're going to be, there can be 500 kids can go to the new school. So. And I want to say that I was just a business guy, folks. I had never, ever thought about missions. I was on a business trip. So whatever you do, wherever you're planted, just keep your ears and eyes open. And when God says, what about you doing this? Say, okay. It's okay to say, okay. Anyway, Wednesday night, we're going to talk more. 6.30, Wednesday night, right um, here. Church, thanks. When, yes, thank you. Um, when I said yes, they said yes. Yeah. You know, I can say yes, but they well, have to say yes. And um, thank it, you. You guys, they, they, they know of you. They watch these services on, online. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Woo! Let me... Um, just as, as we, as we close here and we want to have some time, we're going to go a little bit, just a little bit over today. It'll be okay. Um, we, um, we're going to have a, just a time of ministry. Worship team's going to play a song. want to give you a couple minutes. Uh, there's a question in there, um, in your notes and what are your, what are the things in your life 
or it should say, or the life of those that you're in relationship with that don't understand the need of the realization of Christ's return. This, this New Testament was written in the realization that there was a resurrected Jesus and that he was gonna come back. And that changed everything about the way they live. It changed the way they spent their money. It changed the way they interacted, even with people that oppressed them. It changes all that. In Jeremiah chapter 29, the weeping prophet, after telling them to repent, 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 and they say, no, we're not gonna repent, he, he says, look, you're gonna go into exile, but when you go into exile, live. The life of a believer is not one of panic, but of passion. We don't live in panic, we live in passion. And we look at the darkest moments, even those darkest moments, and we say, we'll approach this with passion because this is what he says, I have plans for you. I have plans not to harm you, but plans for your good, because you're my church. And it's on earth as it is in heaven. Pray with me, Lord Jesus, we come before you this morning and as we would pause, as we would just consider for a moment that you do cause all things to work together, that, that even in the midst of those things that are the worst days of our life, even in the midst of days that we don't fully understand, you speak and your promise is true and you remind us that there is an eternity and that makes our humanity have incredible dignity and value. We are made in your image. We were made for you to worship you. And I would pray this morning, even as we celebrate what you have done, miracle upon miracle, that we have seen you do in this place and in the church in Cambodia, Lord, remind us that we have a God who is an amazing God that loves us and wants good for us. Amen. God uses even those moments that are the hardest for his glory and our good. Thanks for joining us. I'm Myrna Brown.